0: Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. All right, I want to welcome Scott with us today. We've known Scott for a number of years. We first met him because we visited him in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Michael Brown invited us to go. Uh, To speak to some of the leaders there and meet some of them and we stayed in Scott's home Uh, On that trip, it actually ended up being a very powerful trip because one of their people from the church uh, Was out on the mission field and and actually ended up getting martyred because of his faith So the the trip took quite the turn, but it was uh, such a powerful time together And we've stayed in touch ever since and we'll randomly bump into each other in some country somewhere um, often in the airport as we both travel so much, but just want to welcome you, Scott. Thank you for joining us. And if you could start by saying who you are, where you're from, what you do, uh, that would
1: be great. Sure. Well, Andrew and Daphne, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, I, I'm privileged to be with you guys. I, um, I'm a 55-year-old man who has pastored all of my life. Uh, born and raised in a Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York, married a full-blooded Arab woman. <laughs> Whoop, So I've, I am uh, my my Jewish heritage and her Arab heritage has produced children that have a little bit of Ishmael and a little bit of Isaac inside of them, which to me is really really cool because it's kind of a picture of what I believe God wants to do and is doing in these days where he, He's bringing. Jew and Arab, really Jew and Gentile, people from the nations and people with God's promise together, forming one community of people that's called to be a demonstration to the world of the authenticity of Jesus as King. I've pastored most of my life in 2005. I took my first trip to Israel, walked into an underprivileged children's center there and was struck with the scripture from the book of Matthew when the the Lord says, and as much as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it to me. And all of a sudden things started changing inside of me. And, um, I, I had a heart for Israel really for the first time in my life. And I know that might sound weird coming from a Jewish person, but I got to tell you being raised as a Jew coming to the Lord at the age of 10. Um, and then, and then growing up my teenage years as a believer, in Jesus Yeshua as King, one of the things that turned me off so much was non-Jewish people feeling like they had to become more Jewish to be accepted by the Lord, and that kind of that kind of threw me for a loop. So I kind of swung to the other end of the pendulum, and I became as non-Jewish as I could. Painted Easter eggs with my kids and had Christmas trees, and Ooh. although there's nothing wrong with those things uh, at all, I I have no problem with either of them, and and love Christmas and love celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But that trip to Israel sparked something inside of me that caused a change. And God opened my eyes really to the to the purpose of Israel and his calling of Israel. And um, since that day, I dedicated my life to trumpeting the message of God's heart for Israel and to sowing seed money into the believers in Israel and into humanitarian efforts in Israel, because I firmly believe that one of the purposes for the salvation of the nations, according to the book of Romans, is number one, to provoke Israel to jealousy, and number two, that the believers of the nations are called to support the saints in Jerusalem. That's what um, Romans 15 says. Paul was talking about Macedonia and Achaia, two churches that gave to the poor and needy in Jerusalem, and it says this, They recognize not only do they have a spiritual debt to Israel, in other words, without Israel, they'd have no Messiah, they'd have no relationship with God. Although they had a spiritual debt to Israel, they also must share in their material needs as well. So in a nutshell, that's what I'm called to do, trumpet the message of God's heart for Israel and to sow money into those laboring in the land of Israel. And God has been so gracious to us, and um, I am living a dream and seeing God um, open doors before my eyes that I never thought he would open and providing supernaturally like I never thought he would provide. That's a very long answer to a very short question, I'm sorry.
2: I'll just comment on two things that you said, because there's a lot in that. Um, The second one first, you said about and sowing into the land and we're called to do that. I find it often heartbreaking when I hear, and this is one actual comment, um, but I hear many of it. All these Christians come um, to the land and they say how much they love us. And, and this is one organization, one group of people who are going out feeding Holocaust survivors and, and caring for them. And they said, but if they love us, give us money to buy the food. Mm. as if, you know, these words are going around, we love you and we support you. And they're going, but, but we are struggling to find the money to feed these people, to care for the poor. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't say these, the people's faces, but they said it to us behind the scenes. And I thought, yep.
1: You know, it's so interesting. We talk about being apostolic. It's a little bit of a buzzword today. Apostolic, this apostolic, that. Paul, who was the apostle, he calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he's a, the Jew of Jews. Yeah calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. After his amazing salvation experience and the Lord opened his eyes to Yeshua as king, he then goes to all of the churches in the nations. He would travel to all these churches that were birthed as the gospel goes to the nations. And one of the things he would do is he would raise a collection to bring back to Jerusalem. So it's interesting because if you ever are in church and the pastor starts reading scriptures about why it's important to give in this particular offering. Many of those scriptures have everything to do, interestingly, I mean, I don't think it's irrelevant that they'd be shared in churches today, but the, the foundation of most of those scriptures is Paul, who's going to receive money to bring back to the saints in Israel which is a remarkable thing. And it's something that I think is really necessary. It's something that we have to see revived in the church today, because I believe that as we give, God's spirit is poured out. And I, I, I don't think we were supposed to be heading in this direction necessarily, but I've got to tell this to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, not sure. We have no direction. Okay, well, good. <laughs> I'm not sure when this podcast is going to be airing, but when we're recording it today, this evening is the beginning of Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost. Yeah. And, and, and think about this for a second. Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. The spirit falls on the on the on the believers in the in the upper room. I don't know how what were there? 120 that were there for 10 days or however long it was, all together in one accord. The spirit comes down, and 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 those who were gathered, the Jewish people who were gathered in the upper room and Jerusalem was filled with Jewish people because this was one of the three feasts where every Jewish man was required to be in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes down and these people are filled with the power that that Jesus himself promised they should wait for. Now they're equipped to be all that Jesus intended them to be to go into all the nations of the world. Well, just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 10, isn't it interesting that the gospel, Jesus said he's come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And 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 the gospel is to the Jew first. But something significant happens in Acts 10. I call it a second Pentecost. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody else call it that. If they have, great. But it's interesting because the same spirit that comes down in Acts chapter 2 comes down in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius – And what was it in Acts chapter 10 that attracted God to Cornelius? The angel of the Lord tells Cornelius, your prayers and your giving have ascended as a memorial to God. And who was Cornelius giving to? You can read it in the first verses of Acts chapter 10. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a devout man who feared God and gave to the poor in Jerusalem. Like, do you see this? It's, 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 it's throughout the word, God is attracted. God is attracted to men and women who pray and men and women who give. So Daphne, when you, when you just said that about giving, there's something so important. And especially in this season that we're recording this particular podcast in, I say that we need to discern the times that we're in. And maybe we'll even talk about that. We need to discern, discern the times that we're in. But in this season, one of the things that I'm so struck by is that as we pray for Israel and as we give to Israel, God's heart is attracted to us. And I want to just speak to everybody that's listening today. If you need a touch from the Lord, this isn't some manipulative way to give, but we should be asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that moves your heart? And I flat out guarantee you, when we open the scriptures with eyes that are open, one thing that moves God's heart is when we bless his children. Look, you guys came to my house. You stayed in my house. And one of the things I love is that you didn't just engage me and Beth, because I'm closer to your age. You engage my children, which I know is what you're all about anyway. But as a father, seeing my friends take interest in my children opens up my heart to them immediately, and it's like, I love you. Even even if I don't like you, you're engaging my children. I love you. You're wonderful. How much more does it touch God's heart when he sees his children engaging his firstborn son? That's what the scripture calls Israel, God's firstborn son. And unfortunately, through the ages, the church has not only not engaged Israel, but they've turned their backs on Israel, and we're in a season right now Uh, where I believe God is calling the church to live up to all that he's destined them to be, namely provoking Israel to jealousy by loving them, by giving to them, by praying for them.
2: And I'd like to take that thought um, really close to literally, close to home and say 100% what you say. And let's take that even further. Um, our own story is that from, I was raised with a heart for Israel, my parents went out um, and they prayed in Israel, um, I, I can't remember how far back, but it would have been way, way back. And I raised my children with a heart for Israel. It was um, a part of, it's the part of the DNA of our family. It's not something that that became as an extra and when um, the Scuds fell on Tel Aviv you know, many years ago, I remember Andrew and Danielle were quite young, and I said at breakfast to them, this has happened, and I got them to sit down, I got them to write a letter to the Jewish people. I called, I found a synagogue in, uh, uh, in, near London, got their address, we posted the letters, and the synagogue actually put their letters in their magazine. But I think you know, taking it back right back into families, if there's parents listening or that, that this is an integral part of raising our children. It isn't an extra, they need to go to the church to find out about or be taught in a lesson. It, it's a culture of the Bible, it's a culture of, of, of the man who we serve and the man who we love, our Jewish Messiah. And it grieves me when it becomes an extra to it. It, it becomes a topic. Um, I've said to all my children, this might sound a bit radical to some who are listening. I've literally said, and I've got my son sitting here who can verify. I've literally said to him, said to them, there are many things you do not have to die for. You don't have to die for me. You know, I don't have to. You always die for Jesus and you always die for Israel. And that's not because we hold Israel up as the perfect everything, but if it's God's heart, the apple of his eye, if it's his treasured possession, we die for that, just yeah. as he did. So, uh, you know, I'm just taking what you said and, and 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 pulling it really into the homes, and 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 it's a part, it should be a part of, of us. I mean, we're Gentile, no, we're not Jewish, but it's, it's in our DNA, and, and I think, don't understand how you can read the Bible if you start at the beginning, not if you start halfway through, how you can miss it. And yet people are missing it and it really grieves me.
1: Well, I believe, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go. You know, it's interesting that the Bible, because of the the Jewish rejection of Jesus, the Bible talks about a partial blindness Hmm. over their eyes that God has placed. God himself has placed a partial blindness over the eyes of Israel because of their rejection of Yeshua, Jesus, as king. Now, as the church um, has matured, it seems like there's a blindness over their eyes with regard to Israel's place in the heart of God. God placed a blindness over Israel, temporary and partial blindness over their eyes, Until the fullness of the nations has come in. And then the Bible says, all Israel shall be saved. Well, the fullness of the nations, nations is another word for Gentile. And Gentile isn't a bad word at all. Gentile simply means nations. But it's so interesting that when Gentiles come to the knowledge of Jesus as king and Messiah of Israel and savior of the world, we are now one new family in the same way that my kids are both Arab and Jew. They've got both of that in there. Um, you and I are talking, Gentile and Jew, but God doesn't look down and see um, Andrew and Daphne, the Gentile, and Scott the Jew. He sees three of his children. We're one family. We're one new man. And Israel is part of that family. They are not seated, though, at our dinner table. It's like when we start dinner in our home, if one of our kids who are in our house are not at our table, we will not eat. Beth will say, Scott, can you please go up and call Olivia, tell her we're ready to eat. We don't start eating without all of our kids at the table. We don't take a family vacation, unless all of our kids are in the car, ready to go. There's a, a famous Christmas movie called Home Alone where they forget one of the kids at home. Well, that's, that's tragic. And, and, and no earthly parent would think about leaving a child because they're not sitting at the table or because they're not in the car ready to go to the airport. In the same way, how can we continue just functioning as the church, as sons and daughters of God, without having Israel seated at our table? Part of our family is missing, and therefore, I believe that God is simply looking for sons and daughters who would grab that burden and say, wait, part of my family is missing. They're they're not all here. And I'm telling you, that touches God's heart. And if we want to see God's blessing on our lives, we need to embrace the things that he embraces. And that's why he says to Abraham, his name was Abram before it was changed to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. Why? Because Abraham is birthing a, God is birthing a nation through Abraham that's going to bring salvation to the nations. And when, when we bless that nation, God blesses us. That's why Cornelius was blessed. That's why the spirit of God fell on his house just like it fell on the Jewish people in the upper room. And that's why in this season of Pentecost, I'm so excited because I believe that God is going to be doing something brand spanking new. And it's very interesting that we've all been confined, the entire world confined in their homes for two months now or three months. I don't even know how long it's been. Two years. It's years. All- how say say that again? Two
2: years. <laughs> two
1: years. Yeah, it feels it feels like two years, but God God is doing something. This is an important season that we're living in, and it because we're we're getting ready in the natural to just kind of come out. You know, I I, I don't want to spiritualize the word too much or or take too much out of it, but it's very very interesting that Jesus um, before he ascended into heaven. He told his disciples, the Bible says he opened his disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. It's either at the end of the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John. You guys probably know. I think it's the Gospel of Luke. Jesus opened the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. You would think that that would have equipped the disciples and prepared them to go out. I mean, for goodness sakes, now they understand the scriptures just like Jesus does, but that didn't equip them fully, partially. Then he says, but wait until you receive the power from on high. We can have all the scripture knowledge. We can have, we can know the scriptures like Jesus does, but without Pentecost, without the spirit falling, without us being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not fully ready to go out into all the world. And I believe that even as we've been in this period, you know, between Passover and and pentecost it's 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 like this preparation period i believe that the lord wants to pour out his spirit in a fresh way across the earth to equip us to see israel saved and the nation saved. i'm sorry i feel like i'm yapping no 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 No, it's uh, It's
0: good so i I just wrote an article um yesterday um i called it the wilderness romance oh i love it in hosea 2 uh verse 14 and it, I find it kind of funny. because it's, it's God speaking to the Jewish people. Um, but he He says, I want to allure her. I want to speak tenderly to her. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a really good date. You know, you're going out to a restaurant, maybe by a campfire, and he's going to speak tenderly to Israel. And then, it, and then it goes, and so I led her to the wilderness. Ah. I was like, hang on a second. What the heck? That doesn't sound like a very good date. And um and then I was like so why the wilderness and uh, in verse 17 it says uh, she will respond there and wow. I was like I feel like that's kind of what God is saying to us now I love you? it you you I want to I want to allure you I want to speak tenderly to you let's go to the wilderness and sort of we're going through a time now where We're all now in a wilderness. Everyone's at home. Everything's been stripped away. And, uh, you know, I'm saying, how are we going to respond while we're in this wilderness
1: period of time?
2: Yeah, one
1: of... I I love it. Go ahead, Daphne.
2: I'd say one of our key scriptures is 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The sons of the men of Issachar knew the signs and they knew what to do. And this has been... Um, as we entered into this lockdown, which we're still in in the UK, sort of starting to come out, um, we kept saying, "Okay, God, what is this time? This time about where are we going to as we come out of this season? What is ahead of us?" And we were, we have just hung on to this scripture, really saying we only want to move according to the signs of the times, which many people are talking about. But not many are saying, and what to do? And yeah. we want we want both, and so that has been part of our our um, communion time in this wilderness to really seek what it's about, because this season isn't going to last forever, and there are new seasons coming. And what we what we've been so intentional about, we did not want to come out this season the same way that we came in. Yeah. But even ready to operate the same way we came in. So, I don't. What, what do you feel has been going on in this season, Scott? What do you well, feel?
1: Well, it's very, very interesting that you bring up the wilderness because I just want to tell you th- these two things that I don't think are uh, circumstantial. Um, the Jewish people around the world have have a, a reading cycle that goes from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy every week. There are portions of scripture that are being read in synagogues, and it's the same scripture all around the world. Yep. I happen to do a podcast myself, portions, and this week's portion was Numbers one to Numbers four. The book of Numbers, I mean, in English we say Numbers. In Hebrew, I think it's something like Bemidbar, which means in the wilderness. Huh. So last last week's scripture that was being read in synagogues around the world was entitled in the wilderness. (laughs) Because if you look at the first verses in the book of Numbers, it says the Lord spoke to Israel or to to Moses and Aaron, whatever it says. I don't have have it open there. In the wilderness. Isn't it interesting that the, and and this goes right back to your point, Andrew. I mean, if the Lord's going to speak to me, let him speak to me while I'm uh, under a cabana, in Hawaii, drinking iced tea by the water yeah. or, or, or by a brook in the cool of the day. But it says, the Lord spoke to Israel in the wilderness. It's interesting to me that Yeshua, after he was baptized, heaven opens up. The Lord comes down, affirms his love and and, and devotion to him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the very next verse Then the Lord led Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so many of us in the wilderness start rebuking the devil. Where's God? I don't feel him. It's hot. I don't want to be here. Give me a cold brook. Give me me some palm trees and some... some, some No, you're in a desert place where things, where, where we have nothing in and of ourselves that we can rely on. It has to be given by God. So what happens in the wilderness? The devil comes and he says to Yeshua, when he was hungry, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Well, God just said, You're my son. That's the last heaven opens up. God says, You're my son. Then the devil comes and says, If you are the son, prove it and do something. So, to me, what God is saying is in the wilderness, I think the devil's going to come and try to attack our identity as God's children. And most men. Would when they're they're like if you are God's son then prove it. Well, for goodness sakes, if I was Jesus, I just think I would have looked at that stone and turned it into bread, and then looked at the devil and go, there you go, devil, I can do that. Jesus didn't do it because he was secure in his sonship, and then he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy when the children of the wilderness, children of Israel, were in the desert. Man shall not live by bread alone. So these desert wilderness times, I think are to prepare us for what God has ahead. And look what it says about Jesus. It didn't say he came out of the wilderness all straggly, all hungry, all tired. It says he returned in the power of the Spirit. There's that word power again for this season. You know, that's what happens in this season. The Holy Spirit falls with power. And that's Pentecost. That is Pentecost. So I believe that the purpose of our wilderness is not to destroy us, but to prepare us for our destiny in God. That was the purpose of Israel's wilderness, so that they can go in and take the promised land. That was the purpose of Jesus's wilderness, so that he can return in the power of the Spirit and be the demonstration that he was destined to be. So therefore, the wilderness for us, Book of Hosea, that, that's amazing. Andrew, I never even picked out those verses in Isaiah, uh, Hosea, where the wilderness is concerned. But these are times, these are times not for us to sit back. These are times for us to really grab hold of God and say, okay, Lord, when we emerge from this season, may it be in the power of the spirit, not in the power of my ministry or my knowledge or my personality. May it be in the power of the spirit, because that's when that's when worlds change.
2: Yeah. I we um I I think I understood more the power of this wilderness. (laughs) Word, was when we were in Israel with a group, and we actually went out into the wilderness and into the desert, and we, we spent two days. Um,
0: oh, no, oh. We stayed there. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant out on a location. No, we, right, we stayed yeah, there. a few in, days. In
2: a th- and yeah. it was not comfortable. It, it yeah. I like. After Within
0: thirty minutes, you're going, oh, crying out loud, get us out of here. I exactly.
2: thought. I I actually thought the children of Israel did really well if they took all those years before they started grumbling. I was ready in five minutes. (laughs) Right. So the wilderness place isn't a um, romantic, as Andrew said, place. It's a tough time.
0: Which is why that phrase in Hosea 2 I thought was quite funny because he's talking about alluring and speaking tenderly it's like yeah. yeah i'll do that in the wilderness
1: but <laughs> well, it yeah and and you know what does it say i think it's corinthians right to be careful not to avoid israel's mistakes because in the wilderness rather than them seeing it as a preparation for entering into the promised land they grumbled they complained god thank i mean god had god was an amazing god so the, the the promise ended up being fulfilled. They did enter into the land of promise, but yeah. what should have taken just a few days took 40 years because of man's unwillingness to yield to God. And in, in the wilderness, we, we have we have our choice. You know, in, in these times like right now, it's not really a wilderness, but we're we're confined in our homes. How many people are grumbling and complaining and or how many people are crying out and saying, "Lord, please use this time in my life, ground me, prepare me for whatever You want to do when we emerge from here." So, so the wilderness is a place to test you, and when God tests us, it's not for our failure. You know, I have I have a daughter who's ten who was just being tested last week by Beth. Our school year here in the United States has ended, and Beth homeschools my daughter Olivia. So, last week was a time of testing. And as a mother testing her daughter, it wasn't for the purpose of seeing her daughter fail, but to determine where my daughter was in her learning. <laughs> so, so, testing reveals really what we are made of. And, and mm-hmm. so that's why the Lord tests us. It's not, it's not to kill us, it's sometimes. To show us, hey, listen, we have we have a long way to go. We've 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 gotta, we've gotta study a little bit. We've gotta we've really gotta get our roots grounded. So the wilderness time is really a time where our true identity, our true uh maturity is going to come out. And God wants these wilderness times to be a, a, a time of us maturing. So anyway. Yeah. So
2: I want to give it a little twist on that, in that um, you know, they they were in the wilderness and they were tested and they, one generation didn't enter the land. And uh, we are very conscious of a generation that's coming up behind us that is going through this testing time with us that don't have a clue really, many of them, what's going on. They have no idea of prophetically what is to come. We're we're walking them into an era that they are very unaware of. And I would say the vast majority that we speak to, and when I'm talking speaking, I'm saying on platforms and things like that, really do not have a proper or even beyond superficial idea of the return of the king. Hmm. That they, if you say to them, "Do you know that he is returning?" It's yeah, but they don't. They don't really, really know. They don't really, really know that their bridegroom's coming. They don't know that the one who's coming to rule and reign is coming. They don't know that he's coming to a real city and a real nation and a real mountain, and that there's a fight over that. They don't. They they don't know Scott. So many of them don't know because our generation is not telling them. And to me that leaves them so vulnerable, so vulnerable as as the years unfold that they don't understand what the battle's about that, that's going on, when the shaking of the nations really takes hold that they, they're not going to understand that it's okay, they have a king that they can follow, they have a king who loves them and they have the king who has the power. And so, you know, my heart is our heart too. Is as we're in this wilderness time, we need to go through this time with the next generation. They're not detached from it. We're meant to do this together.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the um, one of the amazing things about God calls Himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which yeah. is kind of an interest. He doesn't call Himself the God of Abraham no. or the God of he he specifically talks. About layers of generations.
2: Yeah.
1: So he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he instructs his children to do is like if you just read about Passover, one of the reasons why God desires for his children of Israel to celebrate Passover every year is so that the fathers can tell the children. If you look at the instructions that God gives in Exodus, he says, we're doing this so that when your children come to you, you can tell them what God has done. So it's 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 like a retelling to our children and our children's children the stories of what God has done. The word remember is a key word throughout scripture, especially where God and Israel are, are concerned. Remember the deeds of the Lord, remember what I have done. In one of the Psalms, I think it's 78, the sons of uh the sons of uh Ah, the the Bible says they were archers equipped with bows. It wasn't the sons of Issachar, the sons of... I'll get it for you before this podcast is over. They were archers equipped with bows, but they turned back in the day of battle because... Who?
2: No, I just remember that they turned back in the day of battle, but I can't remember (laughs) who they were.
1: Because they did not remember the deeds of the Lord. And yeah. that's what happened. Listen, as soon as Israel went into the wilderness, they forgot They forgot how God parted the sea. I mean, for goodness sakes, if God parts a sea, what can't he do for us in the wilderness? Yet it was in the wilderness that they started forgetting the deeds of the Lord, that the, their hunger, their discomfort started taking precedence over the reality of what God had just done for them. So I think, Daphne, we really have to start remembering what our role as the older generation is for the younger generation, to remember the deeds of the Lord. I don't know why people are not living with the reality that Jesus is coming back. I don't know why that's happening. I don't know how many generations it's been that way, but certainly as parents, earthly parents, or or parents with spiritual children underneath us, we have got to start talking about Remembering what God has done in our lives and relaying to the next generation of all that God's promised that He was called to do. You know, you you, can I just bring up something about the sons of Issachar for for a second? So it's really interesting. You know, you brought up this verse in uh, the Book of Chronicles. You know, um, it's First Chronicles chapter twelve. When when all it talks about all these numbered divisions. So. You've got the sons of Judah, 6,800 equipped for war. That's a lot of guys. You've got the sons of Simeon, 7,100 men of valor. You've got the sons of Levi, 4,600, 37 from Aaron's house, 3,000 from Benjamin, 20,000 from Ephraim. All these warriors, thousands and thousands. And then you have this verse that you alluded to, verse 32. It says, and the sons of Issachar, men who understood times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200. So here, here, you know, you've got the smallest contingency, 200, compared to thousands. You've got the warriors, who you would think are the people that you really want in front of you when you're going into battle. And then right smack in the middle, you've got this, what seems like this insignificant group of people who knew and understood the times. Most, most people, when they go into battle, I'm telling you, they're gonna take the biggest, strongest, mightiest men, and they're gonna go in and they're gonna overlook men who know and understand the times. If I'm if I'm choosing my football team in America, football is, is played with, with pads. I know football where you guys are from is, is like this wimpy soccer game, but that's okay. <laughs> American football. When you look at these guys that are on the line, these guys are monsters. I mean, they're monsters because in man's economy, man is going to choose the biggest, the strongest, the meanest. In God's economy, it's altogether different because he's looking not just for physical strength. As a matter of fact, when God chooses, he doesn't choose the strongest. He chooses the weakest to confound the strongest. When when Israel was, was looking for a king, and Samuel comes to Saul's house. Uh, Sam, no, I'm sorry. Samuel comes to uh, Dave, Jesse's house to choose a king. Jesse puts all of his oldest and mightiest in front of him. And, and, and Samuel goes, is this everybody? He goes, no, there's one left, <laughs> but he's a shepherd. And, 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 and he said, bring him to me. And when, when he sees David, who was shepherding the flock, the lowliest of jobs, When God saw Moses, when he was shepherding the flock in the wilderness, the backside of the desert, the lowliest of jobs, God says, okay, I want you. Because there's something about the wilderness that prepares us, like like we've said. And God chose, and he didn't choose because of our brute strength. He didn't choose Israel because they were the biggest. He chose them because they were the smallest to show what he can do. So the sons of Issachar, equipped with understanding the times. that's really what God is looking for. And I'm so encouraged that that's a, that's a theme that you guys are trumpeting because when we know you give me men who understand the times and um, I know that if I'm walking in the spirit, those are going to be the guys that I'm going to (laughs) choose to be with me. I mean, I need the fighters. I need the warriors, but in God's economy, we can't forget about the things that are important to God.
0: And if you, if you use your analogy of the, the American football team, You know, you have the brutes, the the big, powerful people on the field. But what's behind them? You have the smaller group of people with the strategies, people you hope understand the signs of the other team, of the opponent to mobilize the force which is on the field. So even in that analogy, you have the signs of the times people and you have the brute force on the front.
2: Yeah,
0: so true. By
1: the way, Psalm 78 is the sons of. uh, Oh, I just I just had it. Hold on one second. (laughs) The sons, the sons of Ephraim. Let me just read this to you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Psalm 78 verse nine, the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, but they turned back in the day of battle. Verse 11, they forgot his deeds and the miracles that God had shown. them. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Daphne. No,
2: Mm. I um, I love one of my favorite scriptures, favorite, Um, although it can change from year to year, but it's lasted quite a few years is where it says in the Psalms, God took David from the sheepfolds to be a shepherd of his people, Israel. And how often he talks about the people he called to shepherd his people, Israel. But I love that verse about David took him from the sheep pens to shepherd his people, Israel. And um, I just love that verse.
1: Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that when you look at the one who God has entrusted to lead His people—it was the, the 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 common theme is shepherd. I mean, Jesus is called the Great Shepherd, right? He's he's the shepherd. And in biblical times, we have to understand that the shepherd was the lowliest of jobs. I mean, it's not like we think today the shepherd was the bottom of the barrel as far as employment goes. If you were a good Jewish mother, you wanted your son. To, Today, you want your son to be a lawyer or blah, 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 you know, a doctor. You, you want them climbing the ladder? Well, God, God is not looking for that. God is looking for the shepherd. Moses, I mean, Moses at 80, he was beyond his prime in the wilderness, shepherding sheep. Uh, David, exactly the verse that you just brought up. Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep and and the shepherd, the, the, that quality I do love the brute men on the front line, but that quality has nothing to do with brute men on the front line. That quality has everything to do with serving because Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles, Lord, their, their leaders lorded over them. Not so with me. I've not come to be served, but to serve. That's the quality of a shepherd. And that goes right back to, you know, who, who is it that God's children are choosing? Is he choosing the richest, the most influential? No, he's looking for men and women. Who would simply serve man we've kind of we've kind of touched on a bunch of stuff i'm sorry if i'm leaving. No, no, straight.
0: Um, i mean related to this as well we often have people saying to us oh i wish i could do something like you or i wish i could travel the nations and and we always say to them god's not looking for that god's looking for faithfulness and yeah. so whatever it is that you're doing if you know what that, that is what god has asked you to do just be faithful in that. That's what he's looking. I for, love it. People that will serve him faithfully.
2: So I, I want to before we finish put a generation to generation Stamp on the end, you know, Great. we talked about being in the wilderness and the Israelites going forward and they're grumbling, etc, etc And it had an outcome. The outcome was that that generation did not enter the land. God had to prepare another generation and um, And I was actually, I put something on my Facebook the other day, a picture of us on a a rooftop in Brazil. And I was speaking to leaders who were watching on television all over the city. It was an amazing experience. And I said this to them. I said, you have the generation coming up after you. And a generation which is called the Joshua generation. And people say they are the generation to enter the land and um and and i and the interpreter was saying yes let the generation to enter the land and then i said but i don't agree with that it's not what i'm looking for i said the joshua generation entered the land because the moses generation had been disobedient and i said let's have a new season where the moses generation and the joshua generation enter the land together And and our prayer, one of our prayers is as we come out this season, however long it's going to be, and personally we believe this is just a season and there are other seasons coming ahead that are going to be maybe bigger challenges, that we come out of this with our sons, with our daughters, and I use that in the widest sense of the word, but with this next generation being able to trust us, being able to depend on us, and that we raise men of Isakar as we model it themselves.
1: I love it, Daphne. When I, I used to teach at uh, Brownsville School of Ministry and Fire School of Ministry, a class called uh, Shepherding God's Flock and Principles of Servanthood. And I, t- I would talk about a Joshua generation. Um, but here's, and, and each of these start with SP. I, d- I, I did it just so that I could help the students understand what I saw that equips us to go from wilderness into promise you see prophetically, you speak positively, and you serve proficiently. You see prophetically, you speak positively, and you serve proficiently. That's who Joshua was. That's who, uh, I mean, everybody sees giants. He sees God, (laughs) you know, Um, everybody's grumbling and complaining. You speak positively. You serve. The first time Joshua, Mentioned in the word interestingly, he was a valiant warrior. The next time he's mentioned, he's Moses' servant. Yes. So it's 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 very, very, very interesting. The Joshua and the Moses generation enter together is going to require something of a Moses generation that is not living for themselves, but living for the generations to come. Exactly. A, right, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children that's proverbs that's who god is he's not thinking about abraham he's thinking about abraham isaac jacob joseph all the way down the line so i am with you let's see generations enter into promise together as as the moses generation grabs hold of that joshua generation and invests into them knowing that our destiny is their destiny as well amen sounds like a good
0: note to finish on uh, Scott, thank you so much for, for joining us. We, we love you. We love your family. Uh, we've enjoyed our friendship with you over the years, and uh, we look forward to, to talking to you again. So thank you for coming and talking to
1: us. It was a privilege, and I can't wait to see you guys again face-to-face sometime soon.
0: Thank you for listening. If this impacted you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast platform.